0: The reading this evening is from Jude, and we're looking at verses 3 and 4, and then moving to verses 17 to 23, and that's on page 1,231 in the Pew Bibles. So Jude, verses verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. And then to verse 17. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the holy spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh.
1: Hello. It's nice to see you. Let's pray before we dig into that. Lord, thank you that you, uh, you do long to meet us. And we thank you that you uh, desire to stretch out your hand of mercy on each one of us. And I pray, Lord, that uh, each of us will be able to respond in the exact way that you, you desire for us. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, good evening. Um, This evening we are looking at the subject of mercy. Um, We are looking at this uh, little mini-series of the keys of the kingdom. Last week we looked at the gospel, the good news. Now we're looking at the subject of mercy. Now I don't know what comes into your mind when you think of the subject mercy. Uh, For me, uh, when I was a child, I have um, older siblings, an older brother, six years older, and then two older sisters who are like eight years and 11 years, so I was that slight... Mistake, child. Uh, I know. I know. My mum planned me. Didn't tell my dad. Um, anyway, long story. So, uh, uh, older siblings, and um, I've just thrown myself there. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know that game, you know Mercy. Okay, you see where I'm going with this. And uh, they would, they would try and do this with me. I was small and slightly weedy. Um, but I was incredibly stubborn. I know that you may be surprised by that, but I was really stubborn. And um, they would try, and, my siblings would try and take my hands. And you know, the idea of it is to push the person's fingers over until the, uh, the person screams for mercy. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty straightforward. But I was so stubborn, I wouldn't let them have the pleasure and satisfaction to the point where they would have to stop in fear of being told off that they snapped the fingers off their little brother, and you know, probably being grounded. So, but. So that was the image that I come to mind with mercy. I'm a bit bigger than my siblings now, so they don't tend to ask for that game uh, anymore. Um, so for my immediate reaction with that mercy is, is giving in, is, is the idea of weakness. And um, when you look at the world uh, around us, maybe that's uh, maybe the image of mercy that is portrayed, that people see. It is a bit of you know, not the most desirable thing to, to strive after. In Romans 1:18, it says this. It says we kind of see a list basically of, of the wrath of God being directed to the wickedness of humankind, and the list uh, it starts with the rejection of God, uh, of the revealed God. It re- starts with that, and then it goes into the, the sinful lust of humankind, and after this giant, really long list of uh, kind of this of our sins, it concludes with the worst tends to end with the worst, and that is mercilessness. You know, being unmerciful. Um, a particular person who's unmerciful, Adolf Hitler said this once. He says, our war against Russia is one of um, ideologies and racial differences and will have to be conducted with unprecedented, unmerciful, and unrelenting harshness. And I think it doesn't take much to look around the world today and and see see a lot of that. But we also live in a world that that strives for for other things. Maybe not just violence, but maybe it's success for for money, for power, at the the expense of others. The strongest survive while the the weak are are left behind. But as Christians, we are to live with a, a different value system. We're to live, uh, uh, we're we're to turn conventional thinking on its head. That's what the scripture does. That's what the good news does, doesn't it? It turns things upside down. Where qualities such as mercy and holiness are are given the, the highest worth. And why is this? Because God is merciful. And each of us, you know, if you're sitting here and you know the Lord Jesus today, you are recipients of his mercy. Mercy from the, is the greatest gift any of us could ever receive. And it's one that I think we need to be reminded of. So in the passage, um, I've got a little, oh, there it is. Um, passage that we are looking at today. Um, Jude describes a Christian as one who is waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So this is the state of, of a Christian who is, uh, uh, who is looking for, for the coming of the Lord Jesus, who is going to bring salvation. And this isn't just a one-way thing between us and God. Uh, and so, you know, you're like a secret handshake, and you can join this club. Now, this is something that we are to receive. We are to receive mercy, but also meant to, to share that mercy with others. Luke 6.36 says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. When we look at scriptures, we we can look in even the Old Testament, we see this God of mercy time and time again. We first see in Genesis as he makes a, a covenant with Abraham, and basically Abraham's children, his children's children, are the chosen people who God is going to make a covenant with. They're going to be his people. And God's mercy of forgiveness is poured out on these people. And uh, their sins, are, 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 um, uh, the sins of men and women are sacrificed in animals so the Lord can have a relationship with them. And then God also continually turns a blind eye on the, 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 the repeated mess-ups of uh, God's t- children. In Exodus 34, it says this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's that's the God we serve. A forgiving God, a loving God, a merciful God. But it doesn't just end in the Old Testament. Then we see God's plan unfold as he sends his son as the ultimate sacrifice that will defeat sin once and for all, and that is Jesus. Throughout Christ's life, we see uh, how God is so merciful to people. Everywhere he went, people would shout out, Lord, have mercy on me. Blind man uh, Bartimaeus, uh, in Mark 10, verse 47, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus did. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from a demon possession. And Jesus healed her daughter. So basically what I'm trying to say right at the beginning is a very simple point. God is mercy. If you've had any other image of who God is, maybe He's just judgmental, maybe He's uh, just wanting to uh, kind of throw wrath and uh, condemnation on people, just know that we serve a God that is merciful. But we only can understand a God of mercy if we understand that He is just and He's fair. If we truly understand the penalty of sin and the consequence it has to our lives and others, then we would be just continually blown away by how gracious our God is. And how on the cross, Jesus has triumphed over the need for justice uh, on that cross. It is at the cross where in Psalm 85, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That's a beautiful image. So if you feel right now you have messed up in such a way that you are beyond God's reach, you know, you've done things that are just too bad, then let me tell you that the cross has an even greater reach. I used to um, work with a a preacher, a vicar called Simon Ponsonby. He's come and spoken here a few times. And um, he would often use quite graphic images to describe how God deals with our sins. And on one time at a conference, he said this. He says, God is so full of grace and mercy that he steps into the cesspits of our life and cleans up the vomit we have covered ourselves in. Pleasant. But such a, like an image, got a bit of a mixed reaction and a few complaints. So if you don't complain to me, this is just a, a quote. Um, and now I discovered a few weeks after he said this um, he received the letter from a, a lady who was struggling with her faith and decided to pack it all in, pack in her, her relationship with God. She wrote to Simon to say that his, his pretty disgusting illustration had reminded her of God's power of great mercy to her at a, as a young uh, student. and It is now a word that is very present in her current situation. She explained that she'd been brought up in a a strict Christian home, Uh, she became a a Christian as a teenager, uh, but when she went to university, she she backslid, turned away from God, and uh, went into a world of partying, sex, and alcohol that is so uh, common. And one night, she was out in a taxi, and she'd already consumed half a, a bottle of vodka when a wave of nausea and just drunkenness just overwhelmed her. She stopped, got the taxi to stop, and she opened the door, and she began being violently sick. There, in the, in, the, in the vomit of her life, she came to her senses and began crying out to God. God, help me. God, have mercy. Immediately, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues, you know. She said that her atheist boyfriend and the taxi driver were pretty freaked out. She'd gone from, you know, one moment she was dazed, drunk, and vomiting, and the next moment she was singing worship and singing in a a different language. Mercy came to the rescue amongst the vomit. She said that God meeting us in the vomit of our lives was her testimony. And now she's been reminded of God's mercy once again as he's calling her back, encouraging her not to go down that path and not to turn uh, her back on him. And it is this mercy that I really want to talk about, this real, this visceral, this life-changing mercy that Jude calls the church to demonstrate. This is what he's calling us to do. So I want to look at just briefly three uh, ways Jude challenges the church to live out mercy. So the first one um, is to be tender truth tellers. Tender truth tellers. In verse 22 it says this, Be merciful to those who doubt. Be merciful to those who doubt. Now the the church that Jude is writing to has uh, been damaged by false teachers and um, these people had come in and they looked to undermine uh, the, the teaching that had been originally received by this church. And the members, after a while, they've taken it in. And now they were at a point where they didn't know what was true. And they started to doubt. So much of Drew's letter, and I didn't, we didn't read it all, and it's very short, but you, you can, you know, please do read it tonight. Much of Drew's letter is aimed at these false teachers. Uh, and uh, he, he really doesn't hold back. He really, you know, gives them... Two fists. He says, in verse 4b, he says, They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. He says that to the false teachers, but to the doubting church, those who are struggling, those who have got a bit misled, his message is merciful and it is gracious. For they are, in part, victims to, to this, these false teachers. They've they've strayed from this sound teaching, but Jude, he's like a good shepherd. He's he's calling his his sheep back into the fold, not wanting them to be left out into the wilderness and uh, uh, maybe attacked by the wolves. Verse 17, this is what he says to them. Dear friends, this isn't someone who's sounding hostile, it's dear friends. Remember what the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. He goes on saying that they will be those that will, will try and divide you. These, these men are them. These are the ones that were foretold. In verse 20 it says, but you, dear friends, dear friends, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Build yourself up. Seek the Lord. And Jude is telling the church, you know, don't push away from those that are struggling, those who are doubting, those who are maybe getting a bit misled but move closer to them and to show mercy to them. But don't get me wrong, Jude is not giving up on on sound teaching so just to keep the peace because that just makes things easier. Now he urges the church in verse 3, he says, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered. Now fight for it. This is important. This is truth. But let's face it. This is where it's a bit of a balancing act. Let's face it, you know Christians are not to be the truth police, even though we quite like it. We like feeling that we're right, that person's wrong. And going around condemning people, for we are not God. Only he can really judge and forgive. But that's on one side. But the other side, mercy is not all kind of mere embracing of all-inclusive tolerance of whatever is going on around us. Mercy is... Is coming to those that are lost and just encouraging them, drawing them back, persuading them back to the Father. Once I was walking around um, Oxford and um, I came among some street preachers. And um, I have a, a lot of respect for uh, those who can stand up and speak the gospel in a, in a street, a potentially quite hostile environment, uh, because... You know, no matter how cheesy it is, sometimes uh, you know, I'm sure they brought many more people to the Lord than than I have. But on this occasion, um, there was a group were just shouting out fire and brimstone. If you've been in that environment where it's just negative, you know, they were they were preaching from the Bible, but it was just uh, just truth without any grace or mercy. It was uh, they, were, they were shouting out, condemning those of other faiths, lifestyle choices, sexuality but it was of no kind of image or picture of the person of Jesus. And the preachers ended up starting to argue with people who were disagreeing because after a while, people started heckling and thinking they were nuts and they would start arguing. And these guys would have little megaphones and it didn't take long for this crowd, it grew pretty hostile. And then not long after it got surrounded by a bunch of police. So I was was in this crowd and um, I just got really angry. And I felt like it was a righteous anger, but, you know, like an anger of, this is just wrong. And so I, I tried, I did, I tried to go up to these guys their big megaphones and just said, guys, please stop, this is just wrong, this is, not, this, is not, this is not Christ-like. But they kind of shouted me down with their megaphones, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it that way. So what I ended up doing is I ended up trying to stand in front of them, uh, in front of this pretty hostile crowd, and I was just saying, sorry. This is is not Christ's message. He is a God of love. He is a God of mercy. He's not a God of just condemnation. Please forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive forgive my my brothers and sisters for what they're doing here. You see, truth without mercy is, is almost as unchristian as mercy without truth, isn't it? But let us be people who preach a gospel of God's great mercy with mercy. That's how it should be, shouldn't it? God's incredible mercy, which is hard to hear sometimes, but doing it with mercy. The next thing Jude tells us to be um, is fearless firemen. Now, One thing these preachers you know, I encountered didn't shy away from was the subject of judgment, was the subject of, of hell. Though the way they went about communicating it was absent of any love, grace, or mercy, Judgment and hell are, are very much real. Verse 23, it says, snatch others from the fire and save them. Now, that's quite a graphic image, snatching someone from the fire. You see, Judah's saying, mercy is not, it's not a sentimental thing, just a, an idea or a philosophy, but actually it, it involves action. The greatest act of mercy I could ever do is to tell someone about Jesus and bring them back, snatching them back from this eternal fire. And it is Jesus, his his death and resurrection on the cross that allows me the the means of purchasing our salvation, allows me to, 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 to proclaim that. Peter says in Acts 4, There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No one else. This kind of teaching is not always the most comfortable to hear. You know, salvation from fire is not the most popular theme to be spoken on in churches. But it's very much a biblical one. You know, we turn over a few pages in your Bible and you'll read John's vision of the world's end. You know, the last Judgment describes a, a demonic and unrighteous beings being thrown into this fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now that is pretty heavy. And whatever your understanding of those passages, those verses, if literal or, or figurative, you know, the reality of, of hell is far worse than any of us can possibly imagine. And it is with this understanding of of the reality of of hell, which each of us deserve, that makes God's mercy to us so remarkable. You see, if we ignore this part of Scripture, ignore the stuff that's a bit uncomfortable, the the, the reality of judgment, then the gospel and the mission of the church loses all kind of meaning. What is the point? We just end up being a nice place for hanging out or counseling people. But mission and evangelism, you know, what would be the point of any of that? But mission is mercy. That is what it is. The former England and Cambridge cricket captain, C.T. Studd, he said, uh, kind of had a revelation of the gospel that was, um, and um, of what was truly at stake in the gospel and what the church was here for. And he gave his uh, up fame and fortune to be uh, a missionary in China, and then later in India, and then eventually in Africa. And he said this, someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bells. I want to run a rescue ship within a yard of hell. Now that, <laughs> I used to run a, um, uh, help run an alpha course in Bullingdon Prison, and we used to run two alpha sessions, one kind of with the in the normal kind of, uh, with uh, inmates. And then also we had a, a, a vulnerable wing, a vulnerable section. And these were, tend to be people who had crimes of more of a sexual nature, and uh, their lives would be put at risk if they were with the more general population of the prison. And I remember going along to uh, uh, this vulnerable wing one week and being just amazed how many uh, these men were kind of crammed in this small library to come and, uh, hear about Jesus. Maybe they came for a variety of reasons, but they were all just crammed in this one room. And there are, there are probably few groups in society that uh, are despised more than those that are, have committed crimes against uh, maybe children. But I got to witness amongst those that are uh, seen as forgotten, should rot there in many, by many people's eyes. Got to see God moving powerfully and uh, revealing his, his, his mercy, even amongst people like that. I saw godly men and women who are, are part of the Alpha team going around sharing their testimony and pouring out their lives for these people. And there's something quite beautiful about watching someone being snatched back from, from the fire and being brought back to God. And I, for one, would long to see more of that happening. It's been snatched back. There is a a story of an act of mercy in the First uh, World War. And a German soldier, he was wounded and he was taken captive. And an English officer, a medical orderly, they expected him, and the the officer said, you know, look after him and, and give him some water. And as he walked away, the German soldier managed to get hold of his sidearm and he shot at the, the British uh, soldier, uh, the officer, and uh, amazingly, he, he, he didn't die. And um, the officer at that moment could have turned around and said to that uh, orderly, you know, we we'd execute him, get rid of him. But, but he didn't. And instead, he said to the orderly, look after him all the same. Now that, that is a picture of mercy, isn't it? That Jesus, who who prayed for those while he's on the cross, uh, Father, forgive them. Or as Paul, who had been taken outside the city and stoned and left for dead, miraculously get up and go back into the city and proclaim the good news to the same people who had stoned him in Acts 14. That is a picture of mercy. Mercy is mission, and we are all called to offer it. And the final thing uh, Jude encourages us, us to do is—is this—is to—it's a bit of a cliche, and we've heard it many times—is to love the sinner and to hate the sin. In verse twenty-three, b, it says to show to, to, to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now, uh, I think Jude, the, 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 the group he's speaking to now, is the kind of morally fallen. Those that even the clothes are, are stained by sin. The false teachers had turned the gospel message into immorality and have kind of, un, those who have ungodly desires. To these people, these immoral, unclean and defiled people, Jude says, show radical mercy. But to do so without compromising your, your, own, your own walk with the Lord. We are to love the, the sinner while loathing the sin. And I think in the church we can find maybe some, some who accept the sin and accept uh, the sinner just because that makes things easier. But also the other side of the church can often reject the sinner uh, because of their hatred towards sin. But Jude is telling us that, that neither, neither is right. Paul says in Galatians 6, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. You have gotta be careful, we have gotta watch ourselves to make sure that we are not drawn into, into, that, into those, those things. One of the things I, I, I most admire about my, my father is that he is often drawn to those that have um, morally fallen from grace in some way and uh, have seemingly lost everything. So he doesn't do this uh, just to go and enjoy to see other people suffer uh, and who maybe have lost their fortune or who have been found in a compromising position. He does it because he knows you know, we are all sinful, all in need of God's mercy and forgiveness, and and. And, for, and all in need of his forgiveness. And his way of showing that, him way of showing that mercy is by offering a hand of friendship when everyone else has maybe turned their backs on them. Now this week that we've been, you know, you may have been looked in the news and the papers, it's been filled with the, the kind of the public disgrace and humiliation of this MP, Mr. Vaz. And uh, I was speaking to my dad the other day about it and true to character, you know, my dad, is, he's already written a letter to him. And not because he agrees with what he's done, but because he knows we are just all covered in mess. Maybe in that vomit, that, that, that image beforehand. And, and to stretch out a hand of kindness is what Jesus did, isn't it? Jesus did exactly that at the, at the beginning of John 8. He talks of, we read of a woman who's been caught in adultery. Yeah, yeah, nothing new there. That is something as common than it is today. And adultery, though, then was a crime that was punishable by being stoned uh, according to Mosaic law. So they threw this, this woman in front of Jesus. There was no man there to be seen and what happened to him. But, but they threw him in front of Jesus to see what he would do. But they, this was a trap. They knew, they knew what Jesus was like. They knew he was never going to stone her. And, but if he didn't do anything, he could then be accused of, of being a lawbreaker himself. Rather than playing their little game, Jesus suggests that they give the first stone to the person without any sin. And you know what? They all leave, the oldest first, the oldest with the, maybe the longest list of sins, going first. When Jesus asks the woman, "Is has anyone condemned you?" she replies in relief and just amazement, "No one, Lord." You see And here we see Jesus loving the sinner. He says, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you. But then we see him hating the sin. But go, and from now on, sin no more. You see, it is at the cross where we see the ultimate uh, expression of this. At the cross, justice and the mercy kiss. Justice that must have a punishment for sin. Because we all desire that. Even in today's life, we know if things happen to us, we desire, bad things happen to us, we desire justice. But there's also mercy, what happened on the cross, that pays for our sin. So when we proclaim this, uh, this gospel, we're bringing good news to this God who died for us at Calvary. We become bringers of mercy, holding out kind of hands of kindness. The mercy of God that saves us all from sin. Jesus says, just to finish, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Let us go out and reveal that mercy to others. So, what I've kind of been saying is firstly, God is merciful. Please know that, that He's not. Kind of looking down on you and just judging you and thinking you are a horrible sinner. No, he's merciful. He loves you and He he wants to. He's stretching He stretched out a hand of love to you through Jesus. But we also challenge to be merciful for those who are doubting, those who are struggling in their faith. And maybe, you know, you can look around and see those who may be really struggling. Or you could walk alongside them, help them in their time. But maybe you are, you're here and you're struggling in your faith right now, and we would love to pray for you in, in a few moments. We're also encouraged to fight for those who are close to the fire. Fight for those that, um, that don't know Jesus, that never heard of the gospel. Let's, let's, let's seek people out and just not be abrasive and hammering the gospel over their head, but actually just, just showing God's love and grace and mercy with truth. And finally, to stretch out a hand for sinners while rejecting the sin that so easily entangles. Those that maybe are uh, deceiving the church, those that are uh, trying to bring, a, bring the church to its knees. Maybe this is, Jude is calling us, encouraging us to be merciful to those people. Let us pray. I realize this has been quite a, a heavy message, and, um, but I want to just pray right now. That uh, we we would encounter the mercy of God. You know, we are all none of us are, are more sinful than the other. We are all sinful beings, but we have a God that loves us so much that reached out into the mess of our lives and desires to bring us back. So let's pray. Lord, I ask that you you just help us to be people who can can hear your message of mercy that we would be people who are brought to our knees and realize that we are not as good as we think we are Lord just speak to us exactly where we are, whatever is going on in your life right now, just bring that to the Lord and Lord I just pray that you would just meet us in that mess whatever that is and we could receive your, your unconditional mercy in our lives.